0: As I rebuilt my life, I started giving back to the diabetes community, speaking around the country as a national hero for the JDRF and helping kids, especially with exercise and things like that. And one day I realized, why are we not scaling the knowledge that Cecilia had in helping people across the country and eventually the world?
1: Welcome to Startup Health Now, I'm Logan Plaster. As you may know, if you've been following this show, once a month, we focus on a particular health moonshot theme and spend time with the entrepreneurs and innovators reimagining health within that sphere. This month, we're talking about the health moonshot of preventing and curing disease with a special focus on the fight against diabetes. Today, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who hasn't been impacted by diabetes in some way. Globally, half a billion people are affected by the disease, and it was responsible for the deaths of one and a half million people globally in 2019. But for most people, diabetes isn't about frightening global statistics. It's incredibly personal. It's about our families and our friends, about ourselves. Just off the top of my head, I can think of dozens of people in my life who have to contend with type 1 or type 2 diabetes today. show is about the hope of innovation and there's plenty of that to be found in diabetes for people with type 1 new continuous glucose monitors make it simple and automatic to keep track of insulin levels for people with type 2 which can largely be managed with medications nutrition and exercise we're seeing a host of tech enabled solutions that improve daily health to understand both sides of this coin the very personal toll of diabetes plus the present and future promise of technology I wanted to talk to David Weingard. David founded a company called Cecilia Health, which helps diabetics get the specialized health coaching they need. But more importantly, David is a type 1 diabetic who has fought for his life and knows the daily fears and challenges that this silent disease brings to millions. It's that combination of experience that makes David's journey so powerful. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So, David, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Cecilia Health and what you've built and all that. But I really want to start by understanding uh, your journey with diabetes. Uh, and so take me back to when you first found out that you had type 1 diabetes.
0: Yeah, I remember the day that I was in my uh with absolutely no energy. And this was a few days after I did a five-hour training for a race. And I put on a pair of shorts that I had bought earlier in the summer and they were huge. And I didn't understand why, why that was. And I walked the three blocks to the doctor's office, just barely and found out that I had type one diabetes and I had lost over 30 pounds in the last three weeks. That's why the shorts were so big, um, which is part of the diagnosis. And Dr gave me a script for insulin, and I began a journey uh, of recovery, and thank goodness uh, insulin you know, has been you know, developed and is available, but it was, it was a really overwhelming experience. I had absolutely no diet, type 1 diabetes in, or any diabetes in my family, so I didn't even know what this was. It, it was really a beginning for me.
1: So back it up a second. You said you'd been exercising for five hours the previous day. So if that were me, I would be tired the next day. You probably were confused as to as to how your body was recovering. Where were you? Why were you working out so much? What was kind of going on in your life at the time?
0: Yeah. So I've been a runner um, since I was young. In fact, my first New York City Marathon was uh, at age 17. And in my 30s, I got involved in triathlon, did my first Ironman and that was really only a year before I was diagnosed with type one. I went on to do three full Ironman with, with type one and over 30 uh, Ironman 70.3, which is about half the distance. And uh, there's a longer story here, but I really believe in the, the mental health boost that you get from exercise and challenge when it comes to diabetes.
1: Sure. So you were in New York City and you were what age when you got diagnosed?
0: I, I was 36, 36. Um, and the race I was training for was a survival race, um, a 10-stage survival race, which took me nine years after the diagnosis to figure out how to do it with type 1, and
1: I did, and I remember crying like a baby when I finished that race nine years later. So so at 36, uh, I'm guessing that you felt like you were in peak physical condition. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So how did it feel emotionally to be delivered this diagnosis? I mean, it was,
0: it was a shock. It was crushing. I didn't understand it um, because I had no context. I had never met anybody with diabetes. Um, And so, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say that because diabetes is a silent disease. So I think that's important for this conversation you know, almost half the world has some form of diabetes, whether pre-diabetes or regular or type one or type two, but I, I was really unfamiliar with it. So how I felt was overwhelmed. I a desperate need to learn and search out uh, sources of help. And, you know, over a few days, when I, as I started to get over the shock, the feeling was, how am I gonna live an empowered life? I, I had three young boys at the time you know, and my wife, and how am I going to be around for them, you know, and for myself, of course.
1: At that time, what was the long-term prognosis? I and mean, Were there fears about sort of your longevity?
0: Well, you know, the education that you, the formal education you go through after being diagnosed tells you about all the extreme problems that going to have in your life and the relationship between diabetes and cardiovascular disease and mm-hmm. neuropathy loss of feeling and it's a pretty bleak picture and the tools especially 20 years ago were kind of basic and even back then i was fortunate compared to 20 years prior to that uh, now thankfully there's technology that that's more helpful but you know the, the medical community doesn't paint about the long term impact about having diabetes. In fact, even now, when I go to a doctor, and they don't know why something is happening, they blame diabetes. So, Mm. you know, whether it's true or not, who knows, you know, the more you take care of yourself, the more you minimize those side effects.
1: How are you able to turn that corner from that shock and that maybe fear of of what might happen in the future to saying, look, I'm going to take hold of this, I'm going to going to sort of live as well as I can with my family and do the things I want to do.
0: It's a great question. I, you know, it started, you know, it started with a commitment to rebuild my life. I mean, I need to, there was no choice. I mean, my kids were young and they needed me as a father and, you know, I, I was, it's not my nature to give up in any way, you know, especially you get a taste of that through my race experience, but I just, started, you know, every day I would I would run 10 minutes and I'd be like, you know, every day farther and faster and became 12 minutes and 15 minutes. And, you know, thankfully insulin has, a, once it's in your body, it's it's kind of like a recovery. You know, the body starts to, I started gaining my weight back and uh, my strength back and going from there, but it, it's an ongoing commitment. There's really no choice. I mean, the only choice is i won't say failure but to suffer the the emotional and physical impact of diabetes where i've met so many people that have lost feeling in their legs or arms or you know have died of diabetes and not taking care it's people ignore it and unfortunately the impact is you know extreme either you know death or other similar symptoms and i wasn't going to do that
1: yeah actually in the late 90s i I lost my piano teacher uh he was a type 1 diabetic he's about 25 years old and he uh blacked out he was trying to race home and get something for his blood sugar and he just wasn't managing it well because he was a young person and he just blacked out on a highway and uh you know it's like these that was happening at a time when you know there was less knowledge about how to, how to manage day to day and just how to how to sort of live your life
0: and i think you're you're talking about something really important part of it is knowledge and that certainly that education uh, and the access to care for the us and for the world is absolutely would be a game changer however i i just really want to point out that especially with type 1 diabetes where the body doesn't create insulin it it's almost moments you can't prepare for because you're dealing with a crisis every few days. As an example, today, I was, I was just at physical therapy ago where my, my blood glucose crashed Hmm. and literally I could have passed out. And thankfully I'm not that sensitive to it. And literally the physical therapist went and got me candy. Hmm. Um, It was so strange of a moment because I was having a problem doing the physical therapy. And I, I, saw what my blood sugar was and I realized what it was. So those are events that were unplanned. I just, mm. it was a little close to lunchtime and I, my blood sugar had gone down faster than I expected. And I was caught in the middle of something. Um, I also, week had my pump, my insulin pump fail. And I went through 24 hours of another crisis. So yeah. there is an endless number of this stuff and hopefully They don't happen that often, but they
1: happen. Uh, You mentioned the pump. Uh, I'd love for you to kind of give us a kind of a run through of your journey in terms of the technology that you've employed to help manage your diabetes.
0: Yeah. So, and I think it's important to keep in mind the different kind of diabetes. So since we're talking about type one diabetes, type one diabetes, the body does not create insulin more. And so when I was 36, my body stopped for whatever reason. Nobody knows why. There's a genetic disposition, yet I know nobody in my family who has type 1 uh, or type 2. And um, the treatment after I got educated by a great diabetes educator named Cecilia, um, who inspired me to create a company, we'll talk more about that perhaps, but you know, is, is basically to take injections of insulin every day. And it's, it's not a black and white science. There's long acting insulin, there's short acting insulin, the short acting covers meal and carbs that you eat. And you're really kind of taking your best shot at, and that's a little, probably a little joke there in, <laughs> in um, you know, counting your carbohydrates and estimating the insulin and then taking dosages that fix it. And so, you know, you could be taking 20 shots a day. Um, and what's, I, th- I think it's really great for people, Nui does, to go through the shot or injection regimen because they're really learning hands-on how to manage it when tech doesn't work, like in my case when the pump failed this week. Yeah. But the, um, what has evolved is there are now, you know, pens, smart pens, that um, make injecting easier than just using uh, you know a needle a vial. and there are also insulin pumps that when I need to take you know a unit of insulin, I just press a few buttons and it goes through tubing into a port that's in my stomach, which I change all these you know sets every few days. But that's a lot easier than, pulling out, especially in social situations, you hmm. know, a big needle and injecting. So the tech the tech has come a long way and is much more helpful in managing the diabetes.
1: When did that tech sort of evolution take place? When did you start being able to, to automate it?
0: So the, the early pumps uh, were around when I got diagnosed, but they were big and clunky and it took me about a year. Um, to finally try one of them after a recommendation from my endocrinology team. And I stayed on that particular brand for every few years, you refresh the pump and they got smaller and smarter. Um, and and the technology has come a long way now. You know, I'm heavily reliant on the pump, which now integrates with a sensor that I wear, which kind of shows me my blood sugar and real time and a lot of other things that You know, I still have everyday wings because I'm still estimating the carbs in every meal that I eat and then tinkering with it, but still I'm able to do it much, I want in quotes easier and manage my blood sugar better and download analytics that I could study and work with a healthcare professional to optimize my regimen when I eat this particular meal I'll do the following and I'll probably get closer to what's right.
1: Got it. David, you mentioned uh, working with someone named Cecilia. I understand that was a, like a coach. Um, How did you first get introduced to like a diabetes coach? Like to walk me through that process.
0: Well, it's interesting. And it was a very enlightening experience for me because my, my doctor who helped me at the point of diagnosis, basically, Said, you know what, I got you to this point, but you really need an expert. And that expert is what's called an endocrinologist. So, uh, a physician that focuses on endocrinology, including diabetes. Those doctors really don't have the time to teach all the tactical, day to day, you know, how much to dose and all the support and all the education you need. So, they they kind of sent me out to the world to find it and mm-hmm. i was surprised at how hard it was because i looked on the internet and the stuff on the internet is very basic and very right. superficial Um, i went to my care team that i was working with at the time and they just didn't have the expertise and literally i found a diabetes educator named cecilia at uh, the Jewish aged for the blind, like a a center here in New York city. And the reason I found her there is because unfortunately, one of the side of going back to that again, of diabetes over time is blindness and neuropathy. Mm -hmm. So uh, Cecilia worked there, uh, like most of the diabetes educators, they're overworked and overbooked. And she was amazing and fit me in because she understood the crisis of newly diagnosed that I was in and uh, gave me the education that I needed and the inspiration. And um, as I rebuilt my life, I started giving back to the diabetes community, speaking around the country as a national hero for the JDRF and helping kids, especially with exercise and things like that. And one day I realized why are we not scaling the knowledge that Cecilia had and helping people in, you know, across the country and eventually the world and that's when I found that Cecilia Health originally called fit for d but we renamed it in her honor and memory when we found out she had passed away from cancer. So mm. um, I always feel proud of that, that we, you know, took this special lady and somehow we're memorializing her uh, because of her unique compassion
1: and knowledge and care. And now how long has Cecilia Health been in existence? I mean, including the time as fit for d so a little over a decade, um,
0: okay. and we, you know, we we were really ahead of the digital health uh, industry at the time. There was no capital, so we bootstrapped the business with real paying clients. Hmm. And um, it was kind of humorous going and visiting investors back then when they said, "Come back to us when you have millions of dollars of revenue." And I'm like, "What's the point? You know, like <laughs> you're here to help us grow."
1: Yeah. And so if I get we, that, I, w- I won't need you.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did. We, so we did
1: that. We just grew the business and learned a lot and then eventually raised capital. Do you have any sense of how many people you've interacted with or impacted over that decade?
0: Yeah. So we've helped Sicilia health and the, the phenomenal clinical team has helped hundreds of thousands of patients. And it really even goes beyond that because every patient has a family mm. that's dealing with diabetes too. Yeah. Um, and so I'm incredibly proud. I mean, they, we primarily have focused on both type one and type two and some gestational diabetes, and that's where, um, women who are pregnant for a period of time, usually it's like three to five months. They, they get diabetes and it goes away after the pregnancy.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, however, we're also doing work now in pre but, um, primarily helping people that get them initiated and persistent on their drugs and their devices that they can live, educate them and scale and make sure we're helping people across all the socioeconomic groups.
1: Can you tell me a little bit more about Cecilia and what made her so special that it was, it was uh, turning on a light bulb for you and then kind of inspiring this whole entrepreneurial journey later on?
0: Well, first of all, it was compassion. I, I think it's rare to meet clinicians that get what it's, you know, what's going through when they're newly diagnosed with diabetes. Secondly is the unique knowledge. I mean, she really, to be able to guide someone on how many units of insulin based on the carbs and all the tech Hmm. that's, you know, she was a nurse, but she was a nurse who was also a diabetes educator and you need years of training and certification in the field. To be called the diabetes educator. So, as an example, a few days ago when my pump stopped working, I got support from a Cecilia educator who, you know, told me which app open and looked at my records and right away was able to help me. And we're talking the same day where my primary care doctor would not have known what to do. Yeah. And my endocrinology team took 12 hours to call me back. Where yeah. I would have been in the ER. They called back at 1230 in the morning wow. after I called at 1130 in the morning. So there's a whole problem with access of care, which we could get into. But what made her special was her compassion, her knowledge, uh, her follow up, her dedication. I mean, she fit me in. She could have just said, you know, the appointment's a month out, but she fit me in to help me. And um, I'll never forget that.
1: You mentioned a minute ago it's important to uh, separate type one diabetes from type two. You know they're they're quite different in many ways, and and I and I wonder what your thoughts are. You know we, we talked about pumps and some of the technology that's specific to type one, but where do you think we're at right now in terms of leveraging digital health for type two in particular?
0: Right. So first, first just to give some context of the 34 million people with diabetes, let's, we'll just take the US, 34 million in the US, about two to 3 million have type one. And right. um, you know about half of that number are uh, teens and children, because that's what also people call type one juvenile diabetes and the rest of type two and people, as they get older, get type two and we can get into the why but a lot of seniors, almost half of the seniors have uh, type 2 diabetes at their age. So when you talk about technology that's available, uh, type 1s love technology like an insulin pump or a sensor because no insulin is created in their body. Yeah, And there's so much that has to be self-managed, pretty much everything every day, that the more things that are useful... Um, you know, if, if you have access to care and you're willing to learn it, then it's very helpful. Doesn't solve the problem, but at least keeps diabetes in a manageable state if you use it. Type 2 diabetes, um, you know, now you're talking about roughly 28, 29 p- million people in the U.S. About a quarter of them use insulin, um, which really is supported by the tech and the devices, but their bodies do create some insulin on their own. So mm-hmm. it's not as radically extreme for most people, the, uh, the ups and downs in the day, but the insulin really does help them manage their diet. So the tech in the type two space is most valuable for the insulin using population, about a quarter of them, uh, which is a very large number. And the health plans are very tuned into Uh, the need to care for anybody on insulin. And then the other three quarters of the type two diabetes population is spread across oral medication, other injectables, maybe in the early phases and with a good diet and exercise routine and overall wellness, they're able to stay off medication or stay on very limited medication and not even need that much technology. Um, and hopefully the disease does not progress. So people really need to take care of themselves. And that's number one. And then the use of technology comes in based on how much it's helpful.
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, it's really not a, a monolith. It's really uh, very many, plenty of factors to consider as you're thinking through your, your course of action. David, I want to know, I want to know if you could sit down right now with 36 uh, year old David Weingard. Uh, he's just gotten his diagnosis, and you're able to talk him through kind of the next steps and and what he's uh, to expect in this journey. What kind of advice would you give him?
0: I probably would have given him support and hope. Hope that you know. you're not, you're going to be able to live and take care of your family and be around. And now I'm proud to say it's been a little over 20 years. And so it's not, it doesn't have to be a death sentence um, as long as I take care of myself. So the word hope really comes up strong. Yeah. And then probably some encouragement to, or the idea to start Cecilia Health earlier, because (laughs) if we started earlier, we would have helped more
1: people. If you meet somebody today, uh, how often do you meet someone who's who's been diagnosed? Since you're in the industry, I'm guessing if, if a friend or relative uh, gets a diagnosis of type one, um, they might give you a call and they might ask for your advice um, today. Does that happen? It, it does. Um,
0: I think people are also shy about it, and there's a sense of failure. Um, really? Why is the, that? Yeah, it's a, this because. I mean, type one diabetes, as I explained, you really nobody knows why you get type one. It's genetically guided, and if but there's really no that they're able to identify. Type two, on the other hand, although you need a genetic disposition too, you could be very overweight, and if Mm. you don't have a genetic disposition to diabetes, you're not going to get type two diabetes. However, if you do have a genetic disposition being overweight or not taking care of yourself or not eating right um, do really impact do see a lot um, is especially with type two diabetes is people hear from their doctors when they get their blood test that if they do even get a blood test that their sugar is elevated, and they kind of like, "Oh yeah, I know and a lot, unfortunately, a lot of people put it to the side because you, you don't die from diabetes right away. It's not like yeah. cancer, if you don't get treatment, you know, God forbid, then things can go awry pretty fast. Diabetes is a progressive disease. So you need to begin right away, but you need to, it's a really a long term, it's a marathon, not a sprint kind of thing. Yeah. So um, there's a sense of shame that did I get overweight and that's the reason type two diabetes? Did I not take care of myself? And that I drink too much, I do this. So what I what I do get is more of an outreach from the type one community, because they, it's just black and white. Yeah, yeah. you need help or, to live and or die. You know, it's that because the body doesn't create insulin, but the type two community really, really needs a compassionate approach and proactive management, which we've learned to do at Cecilia, but all the other organizations and care systems need to be very attuned to that.
1: Yeah. You know, we're having this conversation for startup health. So obviously really in tune with health technology. And I wonder, you know, what do you think the role of technology and these platforms and apps plays in breaking down some of that stigma? How does that help really reach people and open up access where before they were maybe a little hesitant to take the first step towards care?
0: Yeah, So it's, it's interesting. I think, So in the spirit of continuing what we were talking about, there's a sense of shame and also hiding their diabetes. We found that Cecilia, that the human touch of connecting with somebody, a clinical expert who like a Cecilia, who really knows what they're doing and proactively gets people to, you know, shed their protective layers and start to open up and start to take care of themselves. very, when an app is available for people, they a very small percent actually, you know, download it and start using it without having someone really coach them through the why. And just just for perspective, you know, if if you look at the U.S. alone, um, we're expected to have one in three people have diabetes, and this is more type two by the year twenty thirty. And if you look at the senior population, over 65, you're talking close to 50% um, will have diabetes, but right now, 25% of them have diabetes. So, uh, you know, we find seniors are becoming more and more tech savvy. However, you need something that really will connect with them that resonates and, Often they may be alone in a phone call, simple phone call that gets them engaged. The technology comes into play because how do you scale the human touch? So technology can be the infrastructure, the data analytics, the segmentation that's involved to reach a lot of people, the optimization of the human. We can email and we can automate print mail being done to follow up with information there's a lot of tech that can be done on the infrastructure level. Of course, the apps are helpful, but they're really going to be helpful for a slice of the population that really wants to be on their phone and use it. And we found,
1: honestly, that's less than 10%. That's a very interesting. So really, it's about using technology to scale the human touch, helping them understand the why, helping them you know, guide them through the process, not just hand them an app to download. Um, Absolutely, and and the other tech, which I really is is more medical tech, which
0: I neglected to mention, and that's more the insulin pumps and the sensors that are made by uh, manufacturers, and and that tech is good, but again, really only used on you know people use it a very small percent use it on their own. They need somebody to teach them how to use it and get the benefit of it.
1: Yeah. That's something my mind keeps coming back to as well. It's just the global uh, challenge here, the global access issue. You know, we're talking about the U.S., but these the numbers in India and China and Mexico, you know, just massive populations with um, similarly rising diabetes numbers, sort of frightening metrics. Absolutely. David, what do you think it would it will take to really turn this tide? I mean, you, you've come up with this uh, with Cecilia Health, uh, and this company is still thriving and, and, and bringing this you know high touch, high tech type of care. There's apps out there. There's companies like like Verda raising you know hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and yet the numbers keep climbing. Um, you know, give me a vision for what it's really going to take to start leveling that off and actually see the numbers come down.
0: I think it's going to require focus and prioritization by the health plans, by government, because as I said earlier, unlike other disease states, you don't die immediately from it, but it's a progressive disease. And before COVID, diabetes was one of the top priorities for medical chief medical officers of health plans, but that may have notched down a bit due to the the COVID situation. I, I think it requires focus number one uh number two it requires a humility Mm -hmm. by the health plans and employers that because they have some infrastructure that checks a box that they're going to cover diabetes that they actually you know know enough to admit that it's not working you know it's um if you don't have a diabetes educator they're not going to understand how to help someone using period it's just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. You know, I've, I've gone into surgery where literally people ask me what, you know, a nurse would ask me what that thing is I'm wearing. Why don't wow. I take it off? Wow. They don't they don't know like a, a nurse, you know, wow. because they're not a nurse who's a diabetes educator who would know and who would also help me manage my blood sugar during that surgery. Sure. So I think it is number two would be humility and um, the desire to learn and be curious about, how do we augment our capabilities with specialists that really understand this um, disease state? And then three might be an openness to solutions like a Cecilia Health or others that have figured out or are attempting to scale that capability using an optimal mix of human and, and digital. Um, and also you know make sure there's coverage and access of care for the diabetes medical devices that are out, the sensors and the insulin pumps and all the insulin pens. The, the last thing I'd say, and it's not necessarily even in the fifth priority, it's probably even more important, is that there's a limited number of endocrinologists in this country. There's mm-hmm. about 5,000 endocrinologists for 30 million, 34 million people now, an estimated one in three Americans the numbers don't match. We, mm-hmm. we have to invest in the infrastructure and the access of care to get people who have diabetes to go beyond PCP or get PCPs really trained, uh, primary care physicians trained. It's just uh, the crisis is right now looking to get phenomenally worse, Mm. And it's not for a lack of innovation or startups like Sicily Health, Overto, or others. It's just we're we're touching the very, very tip of the iceberg, so to speak, of, of the population. Even the Lavango, which did an IPO and a, a a big merger in the industry, in their public earning reports, admitted to be touching less than 1% of the market. Wow. So it's it's so untapped and it's so
1: unstructured and has so much opportunity to, to be better. Well, I appreciate that you, you come at it from both sides, that you can understand just the depth of that challenge and yet how that also uh, speaks to a, a future opportunity. And that's the, that's the mind of the entrepreneur, uh, seeing that there, there's both hope and opportunity as we start to hit these priorities that you mentioned about, you know, humility, and about uh, access, and bringing in the right kind of specialists. So, David, uh, you know, I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, it's both inspirational and also, uh, you know, a real clarion call to take this seriously. And, and I appreciate that. And I and I pre- appreciate that this comes from such a personal place for you. So, uh, thanks for taking the time for breaking this down for me.
0: My my pleasure. And thanks for you and Startup Health's passion for making a difference in this.
1: Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 380 companies, go to StartupHealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Impact Fund in collaboration with AngelList, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.